thank you again for joining us for the second episode in our series, The Public Health Problem of Racism. This series episode is titled, The Social Determinants of Mental Health. For so often, health outcomes are seen as a result of the health behaviors of an individual. Now we have research and data that has shown that there are additional factors at play. These are the social determinants of health. The definition of social determinants of health from Healthy People 2020 is the conditions in the environments in which people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, and age that affect a wide range of health functioning, and quality of life outcomes and risk. How do these factors impact mental health? How can therapists address this with their clients? What are the public health implications? Today, with our guests, we will be exploring all of these issues. I will first introduce myself. I am Dr. Patience Ruffin. I am a therapist with The Becoming, and I will be moderating our panel of guests today. Um, I will let each panel member introduce themselves. We will start first with Brandon. Brandon was with us for our first series and, uh, or episode in our series, and so he's going to take an opportunity to reintroduce himself to our guests. Go ahead. Thank you so much, Dr. Patience. So I'm Brandon Johnson. Um, I am an independent contractor with uh, with The Becoming. And outside of that, I do uh, my work in suicide prevention, particularly working around suicide prevention within faith communities and within the African-American community with a special interest and focus on young African-American children who we know are disproportionately being impacted uh, by the issue of suicide. Um, outside of that, I do some uh, some work, particularly in developing content for um, for mental health for the African American community, with a uh, video podcast on YouTube that's called the Black Mental Wellness Lounge. And so, I am excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us again, Brandon. We're so excited to have you. Our next guest is Dr. Jewel Gibson. And Dr. Gibson, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, hello. I'm so glad to be here. I'm Dr. Jewel Gibson. I'm a doctor of nursing practice, and I'm also a family nurse practitioner. And um, I am just grateful to be able to work with uh, Integrative uh, Health Center. Uh, and what they do, they offer services to uh, organizations like The Becoming, uh, psychotherapy clinics, and other providers, uh, just to make sure that um, psychiatric services are, are, are available, especially via telehealth. And so I'm very uh, honored to be a part of that organization and to work with The Becoming. What I do, I've been a nurse practitioner for 18 years. And so I've had the opportunity to work in multiple uh, specialties from internal medicine family practice and preventive medicine, integrative medicine. And so I've had a whole lot of, of different experiences. One of the experiences that I love the most was uh, really being a part of a healthcare organization to be able to go into the homes of thousands of, of people that are on Medicare just to render uh, services, preventive services to them. Um, another thing that I'm excited about is just the opportunity to do clinical practice and just to know that there is definitely um, and there's always been a need uh, for psychiatric services. The problem is that, um, you know, being in primary care, we're treating sicknesses and disease and oftentimes we're leaving out mental health. And so I've always had a passion about um, mental health and decided recently last year after 18 years to go back and to get a specialty in psych so that I could provide holistic services uh, to people because I realized that mental health was really a causative factor of many of the uh, physical ailments that I was seeing in the clinic. And so I um, went and did that. And so I completed that this year and excited to be able to be an FMP and a psychiatric nurse practitioner as well, to be able to offer holistic services. One other thing that I'm excited about, um, especially as it pertains to mental health, is that I've also been, uh, I've worked at a church for over a decade. And so to be able to bring in that spiritual component, the physical component, the mental health component, 
I'm excited about combining all of those three to help to deal with people holistically. And so that is um, my vantage point. Th those are my experiences. And I'm excited about dealing with mental health because I realize that if your mind isn't healthy, your body isn't healthy, your spirit isn't healthy. And so we just need to look at all of those holistically. And so that's what I bring to the table, hopefully. Thank you, Dr. Gibson. We are so glad to have you here with us as a panel guest and excited to be working with you through the becoming. I'm looking forward to that. And last but never least, we have Dr. Lucretia Dangerfield. Dr. Dangerfield, could you please introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, my name is Dr. Lucretia Dangerfield. I am a licensed professional counselor uh, with a doctorate in counselor education and supervision. And with that, that means that I enjoy working with the mental health professionals. So I do a lot of supervision and helping other uh, professional counselors to actually find their space and, and really create their professional identity in our field as they're going out to impact the world and the community. I started this journey uh, from the business uh, profession, but then came into the mental health profession a little over 14 years ago, working in community mental health and being able to see the impact that mental health has had on communities of color. Um, uh, when I first initially started out, I started out in in the what people probably would say the suburbs and i realized that they didn't understand that mental health impacted everybody but then i moved into more of a private mental health community agency and worked with different uh individuals from relatives that were caring for relative kids uh, where they were the primary caregivers for women who were receiving subsidies to be self-sufficient, uh, where they had factors like uh, learning disabilities, um, mental health issues, uh, alcohol and drug issues. But these things were showing up and they were having impact on their own self-sufficiency. And so moving myself up into the uh, in the agency, I was able to also come from a vantage point that I became the program director of working with counseling and community-based services and still being able to see that we had individuals that wanted to help the community but did not look like the community. And so being able to uh, make sure that programs were providing information and services that would impact the family as a whole and not just the mental health aspect, but also looking at how they could help them with their education, with their um, food intake, those things like that, making sure that it was a holistic approach to the work that uh, we were doing. But then also uh, after a while, I decided to step away from that and to go into my own practice. And that practice was really is around helping other mental health professionals to show up and be who they are so that they can impact the people that they're called to serve. Uh, and also looking at mental health from the faith-based uh, perspective, working with churches and other faith-based community uh, agencies to help them to share up their leadership around mental health, because sometimes I think leadership uh, forgets that mental health is a part of who we are. Not only is it our physical being, but it's our mental being and our spiritual being. So being able to do that. So, and the last piece that uh, I can't uh, not talk about is Dr. Patience and I have a YouTube channel called Brown Girl Banter, where we talk about issues that impact women of color on a day-to-day -day basis around leadership, around life, around family, those things that impact us as women of color. Thank you, Dr. Dangerfield. I am so excited about this panel discussion. Ooh, we got some people on here who could really help us dissect this particular topic. So let's jump right in. So I wanna go over the definition one more time about social um, determinants of mental health. Um, again, this is from Healthy People 2020. It says, the conditions in the environments in which people are born, they live, they learn, they work, they play, they worship. Um, all of these have a wide range health effect, uh, uh, well, a wide range effect on their health, individuals functioning and their quality of life and even their risk, any risk factors. So as you think about that definition panel members, um, how do these 
specific or certain social determinants of health have the potential of impacting someone's mental health in general? Do you want me to direct it to one of you? We'll start with you, Dr. Dangerfield. <laughs> this is funny, but no, uh, if we if we think about us being um, humans and how we relate in society, how we relate in our environment, how we relate uh, in life day to day. So all of this impacts who we are as human beings. So yes, we look at the physical aspect. So if you're not eating healthy or if you don't have access to um, the foods that will help you uh, live healthy or if you were not taught how to eat healthy, then it has an impact on your mental health because we know we are beings that um, we can't take the mental part out. Can't take that out of us. So we know that there are certain things that impact our thinking process. So there are certain foods, there are certain activities that impact the way we see the world. And so if we feed our body from a physical aspect, things that are healthy, then that means it feeds our mind. But then if we're in environments that are not conducive to growing our mental health, not, uh, not conducive to growing our physical health, our spiritual health, then that has an impact on how we show up. And even in our work environment, if our work environment is toxic, then it's going to impact who we are as a human being, because we can't take who we are out of our show up. Very good word. Brandon, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, um, so I, I think Dr. Dangerfield laid it out nicely. Um, all of these things are are interwoven, right? Like there's so many aspects to us, um, you know, in in life as an individual. There are so many things that um, you know intersect, and so you know, I like to think too, like we have so many different identities, right? Like so we have, you know, when you think about when you introduce yourself, right? It's like where'd you go? You know, where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? Um, a big talking point, like, are you a parent? If, you know, if you're a parent, that's another form of conversation. Um, you know, all of those things are are important and they go to make up us. And so where there's disruption and dysfunction in any of those areas can impact our mental well-being, you know, and in terms of, you know, especially like learning, like I have two kids. And so, you know, watching, it's a very tough decision of like where they should go to school, what do they need and getting those things together because, you know, we know like there's so much data around like what happens to a child, you know, from ages like zero to five, like that's a, like a critical area. It's like, that's, that's the thing. Um, but if that's disruptive and, you know, going into school, there are challenges there with where there's access to school, how far away is school, is school adequately funded, is school safe? Is school a proper learning environment? Does it meet the needs, the learning objectives and the ways of learning, you know, of a child? You know, you know, is that a, that's, that school a place of food, a food source, you know, for that child? We're seeing a lot of this like during COVID, like all those things like come into, you know, come into play. And that's only one part of it, like of that definition that you gave, you know, that's only one piece of it. But, you know, if, uh, the administration doesn't know how to take care of the child and there's like disproportionate rates of suspensions and expulsions, you know, that impacts mental wellness. If the, the teachers aren't trained to kind of look at this, the child holistically in different ways of learning and they fall back, then that impacts their mental health because they don't feel good enough. They don't feel like they're able to contribute to the class, like all of those things. And that's just a very small example of this larger thing, but that's some of the ways that it can impact us. We're so multi-layered as Dr. Dangerfield said. And so disruptions and things in those and in those processes of us, you know, kind of going through our daily lives can lead to some challenges with our mental health. I don't want to leave you out, Dr. Gibson. Do you have anything to add to that? You know what? Um, I really don't. Um, my colleagues have said a lot. And the only thing that I would add is that, you know, just keeping it, you know, really basic to me, just to help me in my understanding to help patients as well, is a lot of people think of mental health, how things affect your mental health. They think immediately of mental illness, you know, you know, and so I just want to kind of go around the corner with that and just say, you know, mental health, 
you know, I always say, you know, explain to me like I'm a fifth grader because sometimes I, I don't think I'm smarter than a fifth grader. So the thing is, is that, you know, how, how does it guide, how do these things that we're talking about, how does your family, how does where you live, your community, your school, your job, how does it affect how you think, how you act, how you feel, how you make decisions, you know, how you relate to others, how you handle stress, you know, um, how do you make choices? And so, you know, mental health, being well mentally um, incorporates those things, okay? It's not, I have depression, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I have all these other things. It's, it's not that. It is, how does it guide that? And, and, and like you all stated so eloquently that, you know, these different places affect us in different ways. And we have to realize that if we aren't healthy mentally, we will not maneuver life situations, school, home, community, family, relationships, church, we will not maneuver them successfully if we aren't well, if we're not thinking well, if we're not feeling well emotionally, spiritually. And so I just wanted to connect those because again, I see so many people in the clinic say, I'm nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm mentally, no, let's revisit that. So that's the only thing that I want to interject. That's amazing. I totally agree with that. It's funny because the next question I was going to ask was like, let's look at some of these a little more specifically. Let's look at education and employment. But this panel, you all have addressed that so eloquently. But there is one that I think is very important. And I you know, would really want to talk about that because I do think this gets minimized in our community is the impact of where you live, that built in environment, you know, where you live, who you engage with, you know, those daily activities you do um, outside of work, how are those um, social determinants a factor in mental health? How are they, you know, in more detail, how can those specific things, you know, where you live, you know, that that built in environment in the home, or your, your neighborhood, the friends and peers that you hang around with, how can those things specifically impact mental health? You want to start with Dr. Gibson? I can, I can do it. I think so. so. Here we are. You know, um, if you're dealing with community, uh, community nurtures, it can nurture your mental health or it can, it can really adversely affect your mental health depending on your community. So you look at community, a community is a place of, of where you have care. Oftentimes you can have a, a community where you're belonging, you know, you belong there, you feel comfortable there, you feel safe there. But then depending on where you are, what your community, uh, you know, what, what, it, what it's like, it can also be a place of great fear, anxiety, isolation feelings of being trapped. You're hypervigilant because you're always looking over your shoulder. I'm from, look, look, Brandon, I'm from Baltimore City, born and raised, okay? When I came to Nashville, Tennessee, if somebody runs up on me too quick, I'm looking, okay? Because again, that's where I'm from. That's what I know, okay? So, you know, I may have a little bit of PTSD, but the more story is this, I, you know, it's, it's a whole other thing. You get encouragement from your community support, you know, but then you have some communities where you're the target of extreme bias and racism, you know, where you're always having to, you know, you're suppressing your feelings. You're taught to suppress your feelings. You're taught to deny things. You're taught to displace, you know, you displace anger and rage. So it's a whole lot of things that can happen in a community, both good, you know, and bad. And so we cannot, and do they affect us? Absolutely, you know, they affect us depending on your experience in community. And that's where we run into problems, especially when we're dealing with mental health and we're dealing with health. We think that every community is the same. Well, no, it's not. Every community is not the same. So we have to be sensitive and do deeper dives into what is your community like and not have an idea that, well, you live in this gated community, you're fine, you're black. You live in this gate, you're fine. No, because you may, you can afford to live there, but you're still isolated because you're not a part oftentimes of the community. I'm just, you know, putting that there. Then, you know, one more thing, you know, just, I want to go to church. Let me, can I switch over to church real quick? Can I go over there? Okay, so you're dealing with church, <clears throat> you know, church. Because that's, I'm very passionate about that because I've seen beautiful things and I've seen some things that we need to work on. So yeah, feelings of comfort in church. You go there, you go there for edification. Go for healing, go for prayer, nurturing, empowerment, you're operating your talents, you got all that stuff, you know, but then you go to church and there are times where you have to feel 
like you can't be transparent because you're going to be judged. Okay, so you feel anxious. If I tell them that I have this addiction, if I tell them I have this struggle, then I'm going to be condemned. You know, um, you know, you tell me not to be anxious about anything, but I'm anxious. And so what I do, I compartmentalize, can't tell you everything about me, even though I'm in leadership, I'm, I'm in a choir, I'm doing all that, can't tell you everything. Because if I told you everything, you're going to think I'm less spiritual. If I tell you I'm depressed, my you're going to think that, you know, I'm just not grateful. I just need to walk in faith. You know, So there are a whole lot of things that are in community, you know, that we need to deal with in order to engage mental health holistically. And so those are things that we, we got to come around the corner. So when we start talking about things that we can do to help, then I want to jump in there. I'll let somebody else talk. But those are some things that I'm passionate about. <laughs> that was amazing, Dr. Thank you so much. Brandon, Dr. Bangerfield, do you have anything to add to that? That was amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. First of all, Dr. Gibson, I didn't know I had a fellow Baltimorean uh, on here, but <laughs> Um, you know, awesome to, to know that piece of it. Um, but but you're 100 percent right. And you know, I've I've grown up in Baltimore, lived there my entire life, and you know, built environment plays a lot into some of the the things that we see, um, you know, in our city and some of the the health problems that we see there as well. Um, you know, there's a lot about transportation and food scarcity, like issues around how our public transportation works for people to get access to things um, that improve, that would help their mental health. And so we talk about um, Baltimore is full of food deserts, absolutely across the city. When people want to, you know, get, you know, have things that are are more healthy and can help out with some of the, the chronic conditions, which we know is a huge factor for mental health. If you have a chronic condition that can weigh on your, your mental health, your overall life satisfaction, depression, anxiety, the whole thing. And so, you know, we don't have, you know, a lot of fresh food options. And those that do, the prices are so high and are jacked up so high that there's an issue there. Um, and, you know, you look at these things and there have been practices, as we talk about the racism piece, there have been practices in Baltimore. The history of redlining in Baltimore is very well documented. Um, and so because of that, the city, when we talk about built environment, is literally built in such a way that there are less resources in certain places. Now there are like nonprofits and places building up, trying to build up resources in those communities. But many of the community in Baltimore's history were literally designed to not have certain resources in, in certain places. They were prioritized in places where white individuals were and African-Americans were kept out of. And so because of that, we watched this over time have these, these impacts financially. Um, you know, like I said, with the food deserts, with access to, you know, healthy services. Um, and even with that, some of the major universities and things have had, you know, histories of, um, you know, in their research of not being the best community partners and doing things, um, you know, that weren't great to the African-American community. So even those that are there, there's a mistrust thing there as well. So they're not like, you know, you know, just signing up to, to go to some of these places. Um, so these things, you know, have impact. And even when you get further out into some of the rural areas, there are less resources in some of the more uh, rural areas. And, you know, when we talk about this, you know, this racism piece, you know, every place that is a resource isn't necessarily a, a benefit for you to go. Um, that doesn't make you feel safe or feel like you can, you know, you can access it easily. Um, there was a data point that was in the Washington Post around COVID that talked about um, the percent of individuals who feel uh, worried going into stores with a mask because they feel like they're going to be felt as as suspicious. And disproportionately, African-Americans, you know, identify that they would have moderate to severe, um, you know, worry or anxiety going into stores with the with the mask. So, you know, again, if you only have stores that are operated by people that don't look like you, your propensity for feeling that anxiety is higher. So, like where things are, how they're situated, and why they're situated that way, absolutely, in that built environment has impact. Thank you so much, Brandon. I want to stick with that a little bit. You were talking, you and Dr. Gibson talked about, you know, racism and discrimination. And we've been hearing a lot more about this. Um, if you look at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, it doesn't matter where you turn news, the Tennessean, it doesn't matter what newspaper you look at, what, you know, news channel you look at, you're hearing about the, um, 
social determinant of health being racism and discrimination, which I feel like we've always known, but is being talked about way more frequently. So how can we help our, you know, those that are listening to us connect how these two things, racism and discrimination, um, impact our mental health? I'm going to start with you, Dr. Dangerfield. You want to start there with kind of explaining that to those that are listening? If we if we think about it, any if any situation that makes you feel less than, oppressed, uh, stuck, devalued, we take it into our psyche. Even though we may say, "Oh, I'm I'm doing well." This is, it is what it is. I'm used to this, but it has impact on our psyche, on the way that we see the world. So being able to look at it for the impact, the, the increased stress uh, that it has on our bodies, on our mental wellness, our mental health, and being able to say, oh, this, this impacted me. This had an impact on me because we are open more to being able to see it more readily now because you could have those one-to-one situations where it was just you where it's like oh were they discriminating against me or was that a racist move when it was just when it's just you but when you see it that it's impacting a community our communities you're like okay i'm not alone but it's impacting us in, in greater numbers so we have to deal with that and it doesn't help. It hasn't helped us this year, most definitely, because we're isolating at home because of the pandemic, but also the fear of being outside. Because you're like, if I go outside, what could happen to me? Or if my children go out, what can happen to them? So it creates it creates that hyper vigilance, that increased anxiety, because uh, especially. Uh, high i because i work with a lot of high functioning uh women that are really high achievers but they're dealing with more anxiety and depression because they're seeing this play out on television and then also seeing it in the workplace because people used to be more you know they would be slick about what they did now they're more blank blatant about it and it's like oh this is this is really what's happening. I explained uh, racism for us uh, people of color as being in a domestic violence relationship. It happens. We apologize. They apologize. Oh, that'll never happen again. Oh, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. Then we get back into a level of comfort. Abuse one more time. But now the abuse is cycling more. And it's like, oh, this is impacting me more, not only my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health. It's helping, it's, it's making me question what's going on. And as a community, especially the African-American community, we like, when will we get a break? So it has those, uh, so racism has a major impact on the mental health, the mental wellness of individuals, especially in communities of color. And the other piece uh, before I finish up is not having access to care, especially mental health care, because it's not a lot, uh, we're, we're, we're on the come up of mental health professionals that look like us. The numbers are increasing, but we're still a small percentage percentage less i think the last research i looked we're less than eight percent when you think of how many billions of people are in the world and we still just less than eight percent of mental health providers that says a lot and so if you don't if you you don't have anyone that looks like you to go to that you feel like can understand you you bottle it up and keep it inside or keep it in the family because we're not going to talk about it because no one else is talking about it.
that eight percent, my goodness, I knew it was small, Dr. Dantrafield. I didn't know we was that small out here in the community. Goodness. Um, anyone else have to, a way that they can connect, you know, how racism and discrimination has its impact on mental health for our those that are listening? I, I would. I, I'd like to add in. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Dangerfield. You know, I see it, um, you know, in a clinic setting. Okay, and this is what it looks like on, on my side. Uh, this child, a uh, uh, little brown child, okay, they have, uh, they have oppositional defiant. They're just defiant. They're just bad, okay? You send, me, you send a parent home a hundred bad faces, okay? <laughs> Frowns, right? And, 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 and my brown child is being told, you're just bad. You're, I mean, you're just hitting that child with negative negativity day after day because you don't frown face okay wherein my other child okay um my white child they just had a bad day um they you know it there's some things uh you know just, that are going on and you know they're just tired they're just a little frustrated number two brown child okay um you know, gets sent to the office, okay, gets, you know, written up, you know, always sent out, okay, again, that's messing with the mental health of that child, we're not taking that in consideration, when you're told that you, you, you're bad, <laughs> you see the frowns, you know, they're not good, you're getting disciplined because of it, you're getting put out of classes, the compounded, <laughs> all that stuff on top of each other, what that does to the mental health, uh, of children, okay, I'm just dealing with that setting. Um, you know, so we look at that. Then we look at the fact that our brown kids are underdiagnosed with attention deficit issues. They're not being treated with Medicaid. We, I always hear, they always want to put it, no, we're, we're undertreated. And we know, we know in the literature that ADHD unattended is, they call it the prison pipeline for kids, okay? Because again, they're impulsive. It's a neurodevelopmental, it just is, it's there. You know? And so they have these symptoms, okay? But instead of us treating them, which we could, which will also guide their academic trajectory, it will deal with how they, you know, how they do in relationships, everything, okay? Them being able to focus and pay attention. If we don't treat it, we got a prison pipeline, okay? They're looked at as defiant. So that's the way, you know, biases in, in, in clinicians, because you only have, with us, you only have like maybe less than, especially with a doctor, we're less than 1%. Okay, so the thing is that that's what you have, okay? You also have the misdiagnosis of, 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 of our African-American males, okay? They come in, all right? <laughs> they always, they're undertreated in many cases. Okay, look, this book that this the literature said these are the symptoms. Okay, why aren't they being treated appropriately? Okay, that's a problem. Uh, or they have schizophrenia. They don't have schizophrenia. Yeah, misdiagnosis. They have the worst, but then they are they're not treated appropriately. I, I I see this on the treatment you know level, and so is that a problem? Absolutely. And so the thing is, is that what do we do about that? We have to have culturally sensitive clinicians. Okay. Because I, I, I'm going to add one more thing. You know, the questions, even the line of questioning, uh, just the assumption that you're poor, that the assumption that you live in this condition, the assumption that you're hypersexual, the assumption that it's just so many assumptions that are thrown out there. Some have merit, most of them do not, again, because of the color of your skin. And so it is very challenging on the clinical level, bias, mental health, in diagnosing, in treatment, it is real and, and, and it's there. Okay, all of those things, you know, that, that I just mentioned, uh, we have to be aware of those things. And again, we have to train culturally sensitive providers, we've got to provide an avenue 
for African-Americans who are interested in our fields. We've got to mentor them. We've got to develop them. We've got to train them. And for the people that are there, we have to have ways to treat culturally sensitive care because biases are injuring, especially people of color when it comes to mental health. Thank you, Dr. Gibson. That was amazing. So I want to kind of keep going with that because we talked a lot about, um, you know, the negative impacts of these things. But I feel like Dr. Gibson was getting on to this point of like, what can we do to resolve some of this? How can we find some solutions? What are, you know, what are some factors or the factors we talked about? How can we use these to improve mental health and wellness? How can we use employment and place of worship and, you know, social environments and, you know, how can we use this to help our community um, improve? So, so I'll jump in really quickly. Like, I think a piece of it is um, in our own community, I think, you know, breaking some of the, the societal norms that we have about talking and sharing about some of this. Um, you know, especially as um, a black man, you know, we're we're taught a lot of things about how to protect ourselves. And part of that is not sharing too much. That is a, a very key thing of that. And it's and it's there to protect us. Like it's 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 well intentioned, um, you know, from our upbringing to to make sure that we're careful because we know what society thinks of us. We know how society views us. We know the atrocities that have taken place for our people for over a long period of time. And even how some policies have stripped men out of, you know, out of out of the home and away from the family. So knowing how important it is, our, our parents and our upbringing is designed to keep us to keep us safe. Um, you know, but what, what we're finding out is that we we do it too well. Right. Like we don't share, you know, enough about our experiences at all. And so, you know, what I talk about when I you know get around a, a bunch of black men and we're talking about mental health. One of the things that's so consistent is that we all have the same experiences, but we're all taught not to talk about them. Like we're we're all in the same place. We've all experienced work uh, workplace racism. We've all, you know, have taken, uh, you know, have seen what society views on us. We've seen, um, you know, the videos of police brutality and you know public murders of African Americans at the hands of law enforcement. Um, We've seen all, all sorts of things and how, you know, our athleticism is is more um, a benefit to our society than our minds and our presence. Um, you know, so notably, you know, the comment about LeBron, which was shut up and dribbled, all those kind of things. Like we we know those things and those are on top of just, you know, wanting to be a provider, be there for the family, like manage all the, you know, all the other things that any other human being has. Um, and so like, we, we feel like we can't talk about it, but we're all going through the same thing. And so I think internally, like within community is breaking those silos down. I often encourage other black men, like if you want to talk to somebody too, if you got a friend or another brother that you connect with, talk to them because then two walls come down. You're able to get off what you're feeling. And then they realize like, oh, it's okay to do that. It's okay to talk about that. And so like those things come down. And so with, with that, then we can begin as a collective to change these systems that aren't built for us, that are continuing to do harm and do damage. We can get more professionals in leadership. We can improve our mental health so we can get into these decision-making tables and we can start wiping some of this stuff off. Like there's so many things and policies that are still in place, notably a suburb in, in Maryland still had a racist housing practice and policy on their books. They just changed it last year. That's 2019. 2019 that those things are still there. People were like, we weren't practicing under it. I can guarantee you there were some loopholes made with people doing it. And, and with that, if we're not there at the table looking at this, like this is, you know, this is problematic. It's traumatic. It's, you know, it's ripping apart communities and setting generations back then once we do that as a collective, we can improve our mental health and wellness and we can get into these spaces and start to dismantle some of these historically racist and uh, discriminatory practices that we have across many sectors, healthcare, mental health care, education, housing, financial, et cetera. Love that, Brandon. Dr. Dangerfield, Dr. Gibson, would you like to add on some ways we can use these factors to... Um, find solutions or to help? 
Well, look, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna throw Dr. Dangerfield out here, and the reason why is because I think she's doing some work in this area. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Dangerfield, but just the fact that um, training leaders, okay. And so I, I want to go to the church. You know, uh, the thing is, is that the pastor went to seminary. That does not mean that he's a therapist. Okay. It, it just is what it is. Okay. All the elders, great. Love you. God bless you. But you did not go to school to be a therapist. Okay. You're not a psychiatrist. You're not. And so the thing is, is that just training, uh, just training leadership in churches, because that's where black people congregate. It is. I mean, 78% of us, you know, attached to the fact that we are faith, you know, we, we, we have faith, you know, we're Christians. And so the thing is, is that how do we get there? How do we start talking to them and say, you know what? We got to provide, we've got all these other committees, all these other things going on at church. We got the food pantry. We got everything. We need mental health. <laughs> we need people who are skilled in mental health or we need a place to refer. We need to be able to identify children that act kind of out of source in children's church. We got to be able to send parents who are having marital all of these issues that are, you know, that are causing us. And look, when you get in your prayer request, most people say that I am depressed. I am anxious. And that's in your prayer. We can pray. Absolutely, we can pray. But we need to pray. We need therapy. And sometimes we need medication. All of them work together for the good, okay? So what I'm saying is that we've got to use all modalities, okay? And not make people feel you don't have enough faith. That's that's why you feel that way, okay? We gotta come up off of that. And that's, you know, the work maybe Dr. Dangerfield is doing that help people to see that there's a different way, okay? And so again, you know, I would add, you know, that to it. Another thing, seminaries, back to church, seminaries. I even, cause I've been thinking about this thing. I'm like, we need to go to the seminaries. We need to teach the preachers before they come out what mental health looks like, how that plays into the church. You're dealing with the spirit. You deal with the, you need to deal with, with, with mental health. And so just so that they can have it on their radar when they go into leadership, go into these churches, that this is an important part of the holistic person. We need to, you know, put things in place to deal with this. Okay. Um, and so that's something. And so I would just say, you know, my, my whole thing for teachers, education, continue to teach, continue to expose bias, let people know I'm not biased. Yes, you are. We all have biases. And just to deal with that and uh, to continue to teach, I always say teach out, just, just keep teaching, keep teaching, keep teaching. And that's what we need to do. So going on, you know, in the school systems, going some part of continuing education, dealing with what ADHD, I'm going to go back to uh, university campuses, teaching professors. I, I, I did a, a talk at a university and the thing is that professors were telling me about students who were not coming to class. Okay. But the question was, why weren't they coming to class? If they are freshmen, we know the majority of, 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 of freshmen when they leave when they leave school and they have to go back home, oftentimes it's due to mental health. They are not acclimating to that environment. They're, they're just not. They're, they're not transitioning well. So what do we need to do? We need to teach professors. They're not not coming to class because they're lazy, because they're shiftless, because they don't respect education. What do we need to do to say, could it be, could it possibly be a mental health issue? So it's teaching, continuing to teach and train in every level um, to help people to see, be aware and have people in place to help to deal with these things. Thank you, Dr. Gibson. I mean, Dr. Dangerfield, I feel like you don't have a choice. You kind of got to add your piece to this. <laughs> As uh, as Dr. Gibson so kind of kindly volleyed the ball back over to my court, <laughs> I am a firm believer that if it's taught from the pulpit, the congregation will follow suit. I always tell uh, share this joke that I have. I said if the pastor tells that tells us that the sky is purple. Somebody's gonna go outside and look. It could be blue, but don't you see that purple streak 
right there because the pastor said it. So teaching from the pulpit will bring people a, a greater understanding. But I think we are growing in that area in the positivity of seeing more uh, clinicians of color that are talking about therapy plus God, therapy plus prayer. More individuals are coming out on the uh, on the forefront of teaching about it and teaching from a holistic standpoint, because as Dr. Gibson said, it is so important to understand that we're not just physical beings, or we're not just spiritual beings, but we are mental beings also. So all of that goes into play because your mind a lot of times and your soul, they go together because it's the essence of who you are. So we have to take all of that into consideration and uh, the education around the difference between mental illness, mental health, and mental wellness. Because I think uh, someone said it earlier that we use those words interchangeably, but the definitions are different because health means the absence of disease. Illness means that there's some disease, disease present. So if we think mental illness is something that is diagnosable, there's a book that we use in our field, the DSM-5, that has symptomologies, behaviors. It has all of that listed. You check it off. It can give you a mental illness diagnosis. Your mental health is where you're working to keep yourself healthy from that standpoint. So that could be uh, reading uh, positive information every day, breathing, deep breathing, keep your mental health in order. Mental wellness is that piece where you're like, I want to live in prosperity in my mental aspect, my mental mind. So if we look at the continuum and we all fall somewhere on that continuum and look at it from that perspective, it gives more of a positive spin to things that you're like, I'm taking care of my mental health. I wanna be mentally well. When you're doing, uh, when you're looking at it, instead of saying, oh, when somebody says, have you I thought about going to see a therapist? And the first thing people say, ain't nothing wrong with me. No, I'm not saying that you have a mental illness. I'm saying that if you're preventative, being preventative and then also being in a, in a place of empowerment, it will help you from becoming someone that is diagnosed with a mental illness. Thank you so much, Dr. Dangerfield. Okay, we are running short on time, but I have just this one question because it's just in my brain and I have to get it out there. So. Really quickly, one, three, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, as we were talking about these issues and we were looking at um, race and discrimination and racism and we're looking at the church and we're looking at, you know, environment and schools and things of that sort, you know, the thing that I often run into when I used to work a lot with supervisees or, you know, counselors in training was their inability, inability I'm going to say, or fear um, to and these could be counselors of any color, to address these um, particular issues, these social um, determinants. So they, um, um, I don't know, cowered back, didn't feel comfortable, um, didn't know how to go, you know, how to move forward with this, especially when maybe it was a white counselor with a person of color. So if you could provide any input on how to help them become more comfortable in addressing the identity or the issues or the social determinants that you know people of color uh, deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, what are some things that you would advise for them, recommend uh, for them to do in order to be more comfortable if this is the population that they're going to be working with. Well, that's that's my lane. I, I like working with uh, other mental health counselors and pro professionals on how to be authentic in their show up. And that means that when you're working with someone, because everyone that comes in is going to be different, even though they look like they may look like you, I might not look like you, but we all come in with our differences. 
So you have to be willing to address them by asking questions. The first piece it should be in your intake information. That should be a place where it starts. And then being able to ask questions and asking the client to be willing to share, to say, hey, tell me a little bit about how it was when you were growing up. Because, and using it from a space of, we all come from different environments. We all were, uh, our upbringing was different. And what, where I grew up may be different from where you grew up or just being in a different household. But being able to say, I don't know, but I want to know, because our clients know if we're being authentic or not. Are we trying to BS our way through it, just act like we know? They know, but they want us to be more authentic and genuine. And so when you ask a person to share their story, they're willing to share their story with you because you are that you have created a safe space, hopefully, for them to be able to unpack and you being able to build that rapport to say, hey, may I ask you this question? Can you share a little bit more with me? And then most definitely read, watch movies, get educated around people that are different from you. Thank you, Dr. Dangerfield. I feel like Brandon has something to say about this. <laughs> I do, I do. I want to jump in because I was, I was like, Dr. Dangerfield is preaching. So like the the other piece of that, like if you put on the end, Dr. Dangerfield is so critical, like do the work, like show up and don't put all of the emotional labor on people of color to, you know, educate you on everything else, you know, on every little, you know, experience and things like that. Like there's so much knowledge and resources out there, like just make sure you know, try to keep yourself as up to date as you can, like exhibiting that culture of humility is, is you know, great. And it's just saying like, hey, like, you know, I don't know, you know, everything about this, like, I'll, you know, do that work. And also, but I understand that it's of great impact and importance, you know, to you, I think is, is critical, but doing that work, like, you know, we, we all get asked to, you know, do stuff and explain things. And so, you know, a part of that can be weathering in itself, like, you know, it can be, you know, taxing as well. And so like, you know, do the work if you're interested, like find those things out and look at how some of this, the things that we're talking about um, still impact us. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. Well, we are about to end this particular series. It has been such an amazing conversation to have. Um, I appreciate Dr. Dangerfield, Dr. Gibson, Brandon Johnson for participating and sharing with us um, from their you know, work experience and from their knowledge and how you know these particular social determinants have impact, you know, they've seen the impact of them in their uh, line of work. So Thank you all so very much. We appreciate you keeping this conversation going. We are excited to announce that our next series uh, or next episode in this series is going to be on cultural sensitivity, topic I love. And so I am looking forward to the information we plan to share with you in our next uh, panel discussion. Thank you again for participating and being a part of this with us. And we look forward to your comments or anything that you want to share after having the opportunity to view this. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.